Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daly. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members, and get an extra big interview every month, plus loads of bonus content. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Graham Hunter, and we'll bring you joy. And so welcome to another episode of The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. This is part two of my interview with Dietmar Hamann. And if you haven't heard part one, I really would say you should go back and listen to it before rejoining us. It's not some sort of classroom punishment. It's a petition. You'll love it. Go back. If you're still here and you've listened to the first part, you're about to enjoy Dietmar talking about one of the great European teams, Ajax in 1995, and how defeat at their hands made him realise how far he had to go. Eventually, in this episode, he chooses to leave German football, and you'll find out how and why he chose Newcastle, and what he thought of his time with the tune. It's all right here. I promise you, Dietmar Hamann is a very special, very articulate, extremely football intelligent guest one of the best we've had enjoy now we have to test your memory a little bit because these little quirks um this is the same season deepmar these little quirks i love often footballers don't quite see it the same way as me but there's an echo from one of the first must-win games of your career because you're picked in what's been a pretty bumpy Champions League group. You have to win in Kiev. So you're going there in December. Okay, in Munich, you, you know what cold weather is. Your debut's at minus 18. But nonetheless, you're off to Kiev. You absolutely have to win. By chance, you... And Andrei Shevchenko are going to go eye to eye for the first time. But 
famously not the last time if you think about Istanbul and you go there and to my money when Shevchenko put Dinamo Kiev 1-0 up the performance is pretty extraordinary just as a little help you, you, you win 4-1 with a couple of goals from France World Cup star Jean-Pierre Papin who, who joined that summer is that is that journey is that responsibility still in your mind? Yeah it is um, it was as you say it was a, a must win game and I remember that uh, Lotto Mateos had a problem with his um, Achilles tendon. And um, I think we played in midfield with, with him and Christian Nerling and myself either side. Um, and he said before the game uh, that he can't move that well. So uh, we said to Lotto, Lotto is always, obviously, we have to do the work for you, but never mind. You know, we'll get by. Um, and Trapp wanted him to play because... Um, if you look at the team, I'm not sure whether you've got it there. It was a pretty young team. Something st- extraordinary went on because that season you used about 17 goalkeepers. But in that day, it's not Oli Kahn, it's Sven Scheuer, Giorgino, Babel, Kreutzer, Helmer, Lothar Matthias, Siege, Alan Sutter in his one season with your club, Christian Nerlinger, yourself and Papan, and on come Dieter Frey and Mehmet Scholl. Scheuer was a young player, Babel was, Scholl was, Nerlinger was myself. So he wanted a lot of Mateos to play. And um, yeah, we, we went 1-0 down. Sometimes you, you have these games where you eventually feel part that you belong there. Because when you first start playing, you're not sure whether you're good enough. And um, one of my, my, my first games from the start in that season in 94, 95, um, my first start was in a away game at Freiburg when we lost 5-1. I meant the uh, to to play against Rodolfo Cardoso, the Argentinian, Ooh, yeah. Um, who, uh, yeah, uh, he did things to me nobody ever ever did before, and probably after, you know. And, and you walk off the field and you think, I'm not sure this is my level. So, you know, fast forward three or four months, we go to Kiev. Trap gives me the, the responsibility and the trust to 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 play me in that important game. And when we come out, uh, or when we run out four one winners, you know, that was probably the first time where I felt, you know, actually, I can play at this level. Analytically, I want you to look at where that season ends in Europe, Dietmar, if you don't mind, because, you know, you you, you play in a nil-nil first leg semi-final win against a pretty extraordinary Ajax side. And although nil-nil at home isn't the best, I guess, with Bayern Munich's resources, with Trapp's experience... And certainly with the right kind of sporting arrogance, and I mean the right kind, which you must have, you have to have, you reckon that you can go to Amsterdam and probably get a 1-1 or a 2-2 or penalties. Now, instead, it's a corrective. It's a 5-2 victory. And I'll read out um, the team for for, for those who don't remember 1995 well. They are Van der Sar, Bochart, Reisiger, Blint, Reichard, Ronald de Boer, Clarence Seedorf, Litmanen, Finiti George, Marco from Mars, Manco Kanu, Ekatavitz doesn't start, he comes on. Kleibert doesn't start, he comes on. They'll go on to win the European Cup against Milan in the final. But you, you, you're with the travelling party, you've played well, you've kept them out in, in the first game. One, maybe it's a mistake by trap you don't play, but two, you have to watch this. Um, I'm thinking of players particularly like Seedorf, for example, and Reichard. As sore as it was, as you watch that game, what does it teach you? What are your memories coming back from, from Amsterdam? 
Well, we played that home game again with a pretty young team and we were hanging on. You know, they, they, they played a different game. And um, I walked off in Munich when we drew the game nil-nil. Uh, I wouldn't say we were lucky, but they, they had most of the ball. They probably had 70 or 75% possession, but I don't think they had too many clear chances. So we did well to, to get a nil-nil. Um, but when I walked off, you know, I, I felt or I thought, you know, this is the level where you've got to get to or at least try to get to because they played, they played a different game. Um, and yes, we went to Amsterdam thinking, you know, there's always a chance. Um, and we even went 1-0 up after about 15 or 20 minutes. Masa Vitecek uh, scored the first goal and you think, well, there might be a chance. But they just, they just rolled us over. You know, each and any of these guys who played in the starting eleven. You can probably put in a team of the century for Ajax Amsterdam. This is how good they ran. You know, they beat um, AC Milan in Vienna a few weeks later. And if you look where they ended up a couple of years later, they played for Arsenal, they played for AC Milan, Juventus. All these players played for the best teams in the world. Now, this was a, a team of the century. You know, if you look at the best teams in the last five decades, you know, I think this team should certainly get a mention. And, and don't forget, these guys were only about 17, 18, 19. These were young lads. But well, they just played in a different league. And um, obviously, in Munich, we played against Stadov and Davids with, with uh, Finidi and Overmars on, on, on either side. It was, um, yeah, it was a procession. You know, you, you know, at times, you felt like clapping them or, or admiring them, letting them know how good they are. Um, and I just felt, you know, you know, as I said, a few months before we played in Kiev, and I thought, you know, I belong here and I can play here. And I think, I've got the confidence now to, to stand my ground. Um, but then a few months later, you see them guys and you know if you want to go to these heights, if you want to go to a Champions League semi-final on a regular basis or to a final or even win the competition, um, you know, there's a lot to be done. What we've got is a couple of questions. Robert McIntosh says, I'd be really interested in Dietmar's views of football culture across the super clubs in different countries. How much was there an expectation, an entitlement to win at Bayern Munich forced onto you as a youngster and he said that at the same time you were playing for Bayern Munich he reckons that none of the English teams that you went on to join had that same inner central confidence that we must win and he says what advice would you have for teams not used to winning as they try to recover their swagger their again I go back to sporting arrogance yeah well Bayern Munich obviously gets ingrained because they've been the most successful team over the last 40 or 50 years you just said it they won the European Cup uh, three years running in the 70s. And um, it's just something which yeah, gets ingrained to when you go there. That second best is not good enough. You know, sometimes I think you have to be realistic. You know, when I, when I joined or when I started playing for the first team, I don't think we necessarily had a team that has to win the league every single year. So as much as you want to win, I think at the same time, you've got to be realistic because it can put... I think added pressure on people. You know, I think you should always make your own pressure and trying to be the best you, you can be and do the best for the team. In, in England, you know, I'd say many ninety probably had it for a number of years because they were used to, to, to winning. But if you look now for the last few years, I think things have gone closer, have got closer together. You know, you probably have, well, obviously in the last two years, City and Liverpool as above the rest. But, um, you know, usually with Arsenal, with Chelsea, with Spurs, you have four, five, six teams who who buy for favoritism for for the league. So I think you always should have the uh, the, the demand on your players and yourself to be successful. Um, but at the same time, I think you have to be realistic. Robert, there's your answer. Otto Rehagel, um, you know, you, you've won the title a couple of times. 
as a, as a now 20-year-old. People possibly don't remember Rehagel, if you're not German, outside Greece winning the 2004 European Championship to, to, to deep or to huge controversy because a lot of people really genuinely hated the style that he imposed on Greece. But hey, he left the trophy. He's got the medal. Now, this was a guy um, who'd been a centre-half in his time as a footballer, who'd had a good years at Werder Bremen uh, and, and built good sides. That's, that's clear. But it, it's one of those operations, I think, looking back, where somebody, whether it was Beckenbauer, Rummenigge, Hernes, back in those days, in, in the brains trust up, up top, thought, this is a good idea to replace Trap when, in fact, in personality and, and culture... It seems now not to have been a good idea. And certainly, he was extremely different from Trapp. I have no idea if you liked him or you didn't, but it was a hell of a controversial year. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, Trapp wanted to go back, I think, in a perfect scenario. I think they, they would have had Trapp for another year or two uh, to improve the players uh, even further. But he wanted to go back to Italy. Uh, and Otto was the most successful manager. Now, um, I think the controversy we, we, we got was that in Trap we had a, a manager who was really into uh, putting attention to detail. You know, every little thing he would talk through, would think through, he was very witty. Uh, you know, he, he would see everything and he would let players know, he would communicate. Now, Otto was a bit different. You know, he didn't, uh, he had an assistant coach who did the training sessions. He wasn't that much into tactics. He, he was more into man management. He was more into you know, liaising with the players. And I think where he was good at was to know who he can trust and who he can't or he shouldn't. Uh, the other problem was that in his year when he came, he brought Andy Herzog with him, the Austrian playmaker from Bremen. Now, all of a sudden, people think, oh, he brings this player, which made it very hard for Andy because um, uh, teammates in the, in the dressing room, they saw him as a mole. They thought, oh, we can't say anything when he's in the room because he says it to the manager. Or he, he, he relates it back to the manager. Uh, and Otto just didn't have the standing. And uh, on one hand, you had that master tactician and then Otto comes who just things off the cuff. He said, we do this, we do this. Today, we just play a bit of a game and go home. The problems he, he got, they came from within. You know, there were just some players who decided that we shouldn't be working with him an awful lot longer. And um, I would have liked to because I liked him. I think it was a, uh, he, he trusted me blind. You know, when we did play, however important the game was, I was always one of the first on the team sheet. So I never had an, an issue uh, with him. But I think certain players in the squad did. Um, they had good relationships with Oli Hoeneß, with Karl-Heinz Rummenigge. Um, and when they did have a problem, because it didn't play or there were other problems, they wouldn't go to the manager. They would go to the, to the board straight away. Uh, and I think that uh, undermined him. I think that weakened his position. And eventually, he had to leave before the UEFA Cup final against Bordeaux. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
you're having difficulties in the Bundesliga domestically, including what I think probably is going to be the, the, the game that, that, that does for poor old Otto, which is a, a home defeat against Hansa Rostock. But what people listening to this need to understand is that I think in a draw at home, you hold Barcelona, Cruyff's Barcelona, at a time when they had to win in Europe, otherwise he was out. And then you go to the camp now, and effectively, I'm sorry to say it like this, but you put a finish to Cruyff's coaching career because you win in the camp now. Effectively, he's going to be sacked as a result of that within a couple of days. And there's in football culture, Dietmar, because it's all about winning, having had a bad Bundesliga season, you might think, well, Ray Hargill's gone in the summer. But he's qualified for a European final, and yet he's still kicked out. One. How difficult was it to beat that Barcelona? And did you have a sense that, that maybe they were a jittery club at that moment? And two, is Bayern Munich just about the only club that sacks a manager, having taken them to a final and replaces him with the Messiah against Zidane's Bordeaux? Well, well, I think Heinkes was, was sacked 98 after winning the Champions League with Madrid. You know, Barcelona probably wasn't as dominant as we know them from since Messi started playing for the, for the first team. I think Stoichkov and Hachi were the wingers at the time. I think Stoichkov was injured when we played in Barcelona. It was a, you know, a game where we didn't know because we, we, we played pretty well at home. And I think we made one mistake towards the end, uh, which gave him a chance to equalize, make it two each. I think it was Hachi. You know, 2-2 two, two is not the, not the best result going to Barcelona. But, um, you know, we had, we had belief. And I think that's one thing he always gave us. I think he gave us strength and belief. He had, he had ultimate confidence in his players, also Real. That's why he was so successful in Bremen and afterwards in, in Kaiserslautern and with Greece. Um, and what I do remember of the game, I think we beat them pretty fair and square and deserved to win the game 2-1, uh, which was obviously, um, I remember being on the pitch afterwards when Otto came to, to congratulate us when he said to everyone, each and everyone, this is a historic win. But we're drawing to a close and you get trapped back and, and, and you win the League Cup with him. And I have to ask, because we'll probably use the famous YouTube video where, where Trapp runs out of German, rather like I run out of English quite often. And, and Trapp is, is ranting and raging and throwing things. I think he gets his shoe off at some stage. And if anybody had come near him, he'd certainly have given them a right hook. Mussen sagen, yes, he's will Samstag. These players mussen sagen mich, as I defense, mussen alleine the spiel gewinnen. This was about him trying to prick egos, wasn't it? Or, or did he just lose the place? No, no, not at all. Uh, what I said before what was a problem with, uh, with Ray Hagler that some players went straight to Uli Hoeneß when they had complaints about not playing about the manager or whatever. Um, it weakened and undermined Otto Ray And the same happened with Trapp. And what also happened with Trapp, that certain players spoke to the press when they didn't feature. So there were stories in the paper from, uh, he mentions two players, I think Thomas Strunz and Mehmet Scholl, who said to some of the press guys, you know, these young kids are playing, we are not playing, we should be playing. And he, and he said at the start of the season, he said, he never say publicly that you should be playing ahead of somebody else because that means or you're saying you're better than him. Yeah, and it's disrespectful towards your teammate, which should go without saying, but we had players in our team who needed reminding, but still did it. And um, I don't think he was aware because it happened for quite some time. The players thought, because in them days, you know, the, the, the press, pretty much every player had a, 
a, a journalist who was a bit closer than others. Now, if you wanted to do a story, then obviously you could do so. And it went on for a while. And I think he just wasn't aware of it, that certain players talk about their teammates in the press or in the papers, or they should be playing. And I think somebody told him, we lost that, uh, we lost that game against uh, Schalke the, the, the evening before. It happened again that two players said, oh, we should be playing. And it was relayed to him. And uh, that's when he lost his head. Uh, we were actually, it was before a training session. We didn't find out. Uh, he did his press conference. We trained, so we didn't find out till afterwards. But um, yeah, he's still signing contracts. He, he signed for a discount and now for a supermarket. He just signed another contract. So um, he's still milking it now. So I think he's done the right thing, even though he probably didn't think about it at the time. It, it was such entertainment. You're right. Your memory's great. He'd lost to a Thomas Linker goal. Um, he'd been an important player for Bayern in the future. He got sent off. He picked out Struntz and Basler as well, Trap, and it was so impressive, so funny. And I wish I'd known him better, having looked at this. I want to, before I finish about what the hell got you to Newcastle, Sean O'Keefe, one of our listeners, has written in, and he did ask this of Ozzy Ardiles when we had it here, but he wants to say, after getting his first punditry gig on RTE in Ireland, did you have fun? He, he thinks you did with Johnny Giles, Liam Bra- Chippy Brady, Eamon Dunphy, and the sadly missed Bill O'Herlihy. And, and this guy, Sean, I want to communicate this. Is Dietmar aware of how much the average Irish viewers took him to our hearts on behalf of the Irish nation? Can I just say, Didi, you're one of our own now. Always a welcome here for you in Ireland. You've done well there, man. No, no, Artie in, in Dublin in, in Ireland, uh, they, it's got a big place in my heart. It's, um, yeah, they've been brilliant. I learned a lot of bro- uh, or about broadcasting, I have to say, from the likes of uh, Johnny Charles, Liam Brady and Eamon Dunphy, and obviously Bill, um, uh, who uh, unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Uh, the, the lads were great. They, you know, they uh, welcomed me with open arms. You know, sometimes when a new kid comes in, you don't know whether they think, well, he's going to take my place or what he's going to do, but they've been nothing but brilliant. And yeah, I enjoy going to uh, Ireland. Unfortunately, I haven't been due to the situation at the moment, but um, yeah, I can't wait to get back. And obviously we've got the two playoffs, hopefully two with Ireland to qualify for the Euros. Um, Hopefully they can do it. And um, yeah, to be in Ireland when there's a tournament or with Ireland in it, uh, there's not many things better. It's not the worst night out in the world that's ever been invented, as far as my memory tells me. What the hell took you to Newcastle, Dietmar? How can you walk away from Bayern Munich and the likelihood that you'll be winning a trophy or two every season? Okay, it wasn't the the, the, the club that you supported, and I and I, I can't let the, the opportunity to go by that. Your club did win the European Cup in 1983, and I should really ask, how did they do in the Super Cup? Because they came up against the mighty Aberdeen, and... and People would come and hunt me down if I didn't mention that. And also Klaus Augenthaler, who coached you along with Tony Schumacher, which I've let you away with having to defend, uh, my most hated man in football ever. Um, Augenthaler scored against the mighty dandies at Pataudry. What brings you? Is it Kenneth Alglish? Is it better salary? Is it a dream about giving the Geordie Nation a trophy? Newcastle, Dietmar, what the hell? We went to the World Cup 98 in France and um, I played at the time then we, we won the German Cup against uh, Duisburg in 98 which was the last game of trap. Uh, Hitzfeld's going to take over for the coming season. Um, and um, yeah, I was pretty much a starter for, for Germany. I played all the games in the 98 World Cup. 
but I, I, I never felt that I get a recognition in Munich I sh- should be getting because some of the players, young players I went through with, or I got through to the first team, they left already. Um, there's new players coming and, you know, which was obviously the, the case in Munich. I just felt that playing in the Olympic Stadium, being there for a few years, always seen as, as the kid from the academy, I felt that I don't fulfill my potential. I fulfilled it to a certain extent for Germany, but I always felt when I play for Bayern Munich, there's so much more I could do and for some reason I can't. So for me, the, the, the logic you know, move was to that I've got to get away. I've got to get away from Munich um, to fulfill my potential because, again, I know I play for, for a great club, I play for Germany, but deep down I know that there's a lot more I could do and for some reason I don't do it or I can't do it because of I feel restricted, I feel... Um, maybe I haven't got a standing within the club. I don't feel valued enough without crying now. You know, it was just a, the, the feeling I got that I have to go somewhere else to fulfill my potential. And, you know, playing for Bayern Munich, there's hardly any other club you can or you want to go to in Germany. So the, you know, the only move was really to go abroad. So there was uh, Atletico Madrid, Betis Seville and Newcastle. And the strongest interest was of Newcastle after the World Cup. So, um, yeah, it was the mind was up pretty quickly. It was Ian Rush, John Barnes still in the squad the season before Barnes he stayed. So Digger stayed for another season. Obviously with, with Alan Shearer, with uh, Gary Speed, Shea Given was in goal. Um, there were some Stuart Pierce was still part of the squad. So there were some very interesting names, and um, it was a big squad. But I thought, you know, that's a challenge which um, which I appreciate and uh, made my mind up, and I said, let's go. And it, it wasn't too troublesome for you that you began with Kenny and Rude took over. That that sort of thing doesn't disrupt a mentality like yours at all, I guess. It, it wasn't ideal because Kenny bought me. And, and also yeah. w- what happened as well, it was against uh, uh, Rude's first game was against Liverpool on the third day of the season. So we drew against Charlton at home. We drew at Stamford Bridge. Uh, and Kenny got a sack, which not many people understood. But, you know, that's that's club's business. And obviously there, there was something going on beforehand. Root takes over, first game, we play against Liverpool and after about 10 minutes, I rupture my medial ligament in my right knee. It's a 50-50 with Jamie Carragher, who ended up being my, probably my best mate in Liverpool. Um, I rupture my medial ligament and I'm out for about eight or nine weeks and I don't play till, I don't know, November, Back just December. just to be sent off for Anfield, more or less. Yeah, that's right. That's just right. about. That was Boxing Day, yeah. So I was, I was back for Boxing Day to get sent off. And, uh, yeah, so it wasn't the ideal start. But then again, you know, when you're injured, you just have to try to get back. And, um, yeah, for a new manager to come in is never ideal. But, you know, it's, it's part of the game. You can't, you can't make excuses for these things because it just happened. You could, uh, we're finishing on this, Dietmar. You, you helped march Newcastle all the way to a cup final. They desperately want a trophy in that part of the world. I was at that game and it, it's now infamously remembered as part of United's treble. I, I have to be honest and say that although United were a machine that day, irrespective of changing the squad a little bit and Keane going off injured, something about your squad, it would I, 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 be impertinent of me to say that the, that the, the pressure was too much, but I, I didn't think Newcastle com- competed in a way, with the intensity and with the nastiness that I, I expected, it wasn't a big defeat. It's two 0 but United got into cruise mode a little too early for my taste. Describe what you think of that day. 
No, I agree. I, I got to knock myself. I had to come off at halftime because I got my, yeah. my, my, my hip flex. I got a, a knee actually in a, in a challenge of one of my teammates. Um, no, I think you're right. And uh, when you look at the result, you think, oh, it was a pretty even game. But, uh, you know, you just always felt they had another gear or two in them. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say the occasion got to us. Uh, we had some experienced players in our, in our side. I don't think we were faced by the occasion. Um, I think they were just too good. Yeah, should we have made it a little bit harder for them? Yes, 100%. Uh, I think I had one shot in the first half, which uh, Schmeichel saved. You know, in, in these games, you know, you just have to, you need a bit of luck and you probably have to score with your first opportunity, your first shot on goal. If you score, you know, things might be different. But uh, we weren't able to score um, and they were just a formidable side, you have to say. I have to finish with the emotions of um, the following Wednesday. I guess you sat down and watched Bayern Munich against Manchester United in Camp Nou. I guess that even though Hamburg is the side that matters to you, I guess you were cheering for Bayern Munich. I guess you were sorry for your ex-teammate at, at Bayern Munich too, Sammy Kafour, smashing the ground with his fist. Something that I, I thought people... I hated the fact that he was held out there as, you know, look, he's showing so much sadness. And that, that was a winner in disbelief about the... Did, 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 Bayern, did any of your colleagues call you about Manchester United just to, to, to prep up their mind before the Wednesday? And, and was it amazing to you what happened? Uh, no, they didn't. Uh, but, you know, even in them days, they would have watched the game and they would have had analysts. And obviously, they would have played Man United a few times. Um, well, maybe not before, but after they played it. But, you know, they were all world-class players. You know, you don't really need any introduction about these players. Um, yeah, it was devastating. I've got to say, you know, sometimes you watch games. Um, also, you know, some of these guys, or most of them, were my teammates the season before, a few months or a year before, and, and, and some I, uh, who joined the club, like uh, Jens Jeremies, I knew from the national team. Um, it's just devastating when you lose a game because sometimes you lose games or you watch games and you say, well, it's been coming. You know, they, they've, been, they've been riding their luck and it was a matter of time before they concede. You know, I don't think anybody could see Manchester United scoring. That's what made them so dangerous. And they hit the post there, the crossbar to make it 2-0 by Munich, couldn't score. Um, and then to, to get that sucker punch towards the end and when he didn't think one is enough to get a second one, you know, you know we, we don't know what, what would have happened in, in extra time, but at least it would have came, would have given them a chance to uh, to reconstruct things and maybe think about things. But to to get hit a couple of times within two minutes, uh, it was the most most cruel way to lose a game of that magnitude. Because the thing is, you know, what people forget when you say, "Oh, maybe they shouldn't have been that uh, devastated" or whatever. You don't know when you get another chance. You know, there's there's been finals lost in the past. You know, we beat West Ham a few years after uh, at Cardiff where they, they should have won. They should have been out of sight if we end up winning on penalties. You know, they've not been back since. You know, this is 14 years now. And even at Bayern Munich, there's no guarantee you play a Champions League final every three or four years. You may not play one for another 10 or 20 years. Yeah, and then your career is over. So um, I'm just happy. And, and when we met up with uh, with the national team uh, for for years, because obviously I was still in England for years, when we sat down for dinner, after a few minutes, the topic would change to the game. You know, it haunted them for a long time. Fortunately, they won it two years after against Valencia and Milan. Um, but if they hadn't, um, I think the scar would have been a lot deeper and bigger than it, than it actually is now. 
Well, if we're venturing opinions, I'd also like to... I, Alex Ferguson coached Aberdeen. To me, there was some satisfaction in watching it. I, I'm not a United fan at all. It was the, one of the most extraordinary nights of work I've ever had professionally. But I'd like to venture that if uh, Otmar Hitzfeld and Dietmar Hamann had been teamed up the summer before, then maybe 1-0 might have become 2-0. Maybe the game management might have been different. Maybe when Peter Schmeichel comes up into the box at the end, there's a header away or a clearance away that doesn't land at Ryan Giggs's. But that, Dietmar, is pure speculation. For the listeners, I need to say that we're letting Dietmar go now because... A couple of weeks ago, he gave me just an extraordinary amount of generosity and time speaking about his, his Liverpool triumphs, and therefore I'm not going to be such a, a horrible person as to ask you to do it again. But, Dimar, this has been... A, um, I, I find that when you talk about people and about football, I, I find that I'm wrapped with attention. If cricket's not going to be your way forward, then please start coaching again. Punditry is magic. But I enjoyed this. You lift football up to, to remind us all why we adore it, why it's an addiction to all of us, which it is for me. So I thank you for your time. And I promise it's a long time in the future I'm talking about. But maybe, maybe we can have a part two. Anytime, Graham. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us, at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here end of the lesson.